Everything. All, 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 got like straps and holsters, holsters and holsters and guns. Oh, I'm losing you again. Evening misanthropes and freaks of the wild, wild west. This is All Geek Everything. I'm your host, True Drek. I'm a one-eyed, neurotic, weirdo, misfit outsider, dressed to impress every day of my life. And while I don't have a fancy name like True Drek, my name is Rob Cunningham. I'm here to basically tell him everything he holds contempt for is wrong and everything he loves sucks. You know, Rob, I've always thought that, uh, you know, you and I, we're a little bit uh, different from the rest of the pack in that, hey, we're proud to be geeks, right? We fly that flag high. We don't hide it. We know who we are. We know we spend our lives in, in basements and rec rooms, reading comics and yeah, watching know. movies. Well, well, I'm now living in a pool house. It's, it's a significant <laughs> improvement. But, you know, where we felt maybe a little different, I don't know if uh, listeners can relate, I've always felt like a bit of an uber geek, right? Like an uber mensch. I love goddamn everything. Music, movies, comics. I'm making it a contest. I ain't saying I love this stuff more, but I just love so much of it. I can't stop. I do love a lot, but I, truly, I think I hate <laughs> <laughs> That's also true. I hate in equal measure as I love. So it got us thinking. A definitive list of every geek anything ever made. We're going to determine it once and for all for scholars to study for years to come, well past our deaths. This will live as a living monument to all geek everything. We're doing it. Every movie, every record, every comic book, every novel, every single thing ever made. We're ranking it on a list from best to worst. It's it's going to be fantastic. In an folks. inarguable, definitive, final entry of all geek everything. Are you wonderful weirdos ready for this? I don't think you can be. We're going to try and prepare you. Oh, your goddamn minds are going to be blown. We're, we're going to ease you in. It's We're not listing everything in one go. No. So here's how it's going to go down. We're going to have 12 entries. Every single episode. So the first episode is going to be ranked 1 to 12 of the best things of these randomly selected 12 geek products each week. That are neither neither good nor bad. Exactly. <laughs> they exist in a limbo uh, of taste. Nobody has decreed. It's like Schrodinger's it is. list. It truly is. It's in the box. We're going to open the box. We're going to see if we have a dead cat or a live cat. But really, it's like Pandora's box and chaos. <laughs> yes. Every week, we're going to add 12 new things to our list of all geek everything. Every video game, every movie, every book. As I said, we're going to figure it out. Which is the best, which is the worst of everything ever made. Let's get this party started. What do you say, Rob? So, I'm feeling electric. Oh, I'm feeling it. I'm really right. feeling it. We're doing it. I'm ready. Let's spin the wheel of geek. <laughs> Oh my, these production values are amazing! <laughs> if only you could see this thing. We had this built. It cost about 28 grand. Okay, very first thing we're gonna rank on this goddamn list is Rocky from 1976. The famous underdog boxing story starring Sylvester Stallone. Now, it's pretty hard to say anything bad about Rocky. My favorite scene in this entire movie. Do you remember? The character of Marie. I don't think I do. So this is my favorite part of the movie, is the the very seemingly unending, long, boring middle section that nobody talks about, which is pretty much just yeah. Rocky wandering around the streets of Philadelphia, and like nothing is happening. 
Like, it's not even... It seems to be a, a common occurrence in Rocky movies. Well, like, everyone remembers the montage, but even that is, like, three quarters into the movie. Before that, it's just about <laughs> a dude who has no money wandering around Philly. And my favorite part is he ends up kind of seeing these punk street kids in front of a grocery store late at night. And he recognizes this really young girl with him, Marie, as, like, a girl from his neighborhood. Yeah. And he takes her with him. And then it's just this bizarrely long scene of him explaining to Marie how a person should be, how the people you spend your time with end up influencing you to a really big degree. You know what I mean? He's giving her a life lesson. You hang out with coconuts, you get nowhere. They're lemons. Lemons. You hang out with nice people, you get nice friends. You understand? You hang out with smart people, you get smart friends. You hang out with yo-yo people, you get yo-yo friends. Yeah, life lessons from Rocky, the the guy who does nothing. But anyway, and then uh, and then right when he gets her home, you know, you can see he kind of feels good about himself. He did a good deed for the day, and then Marie just turns <laughs> and goes, "Hey, Rocky." Yo. Screw you, creepo. Like my favorite scene in anything. Screw you, creepo. It's the funniest <laughs> thing to say to somebody. And Marie shows up. And Rocky Balboa, which like might be the best six entry sequel of all time. Uh, well, like not a lot of movies are good in their sixth entry. That's true. That's true. Rocky Balboa is kind of like by default <laughs> the best sixth film, <laughs> the best sixth sequel. Yeah, uh, I don't. I like other than Star Wars, I can't really think of much that's reached six. Well, James Bond but I can't pick yeah. out the sixth one off the top of my head. Yeah, James Bond and Star Wars kind of feel different for me. Like, especially Star Wars being that, or, or sorry, James Bond being that it's different actors, but yes. the same character. Like, it's kind of different to me than Rocky. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. You know like, Rocky like, is one, one cohesive story around one character and his perils through life. Yeah, like, if I'm comparing Rocky, I'm comparing it to Lethal Weapon or Die Hard or something like that. I'm not really putting Rocky next to... Uh, Next to James Bond. It's kind of a different deal, I think. Yeah, yeah. Because even Creed, like, Creed's a spin-off of Rocky, still featuring Rocky, and still set in that time. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's yeah. not so much the case with James Bond. But I get what you're saying. But uh, to me, it's like, uh, you know what I mean? To make it to six, like the Howling. The sixth Howling movie. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you only want to watch that if you enjoy the Howling. Anyway, but that's my favorite thing about that movie is randomly we see Marie now works uh, uh, at Rocky's restaurant. Oh, okay. And it's like, I, like only in this series would you get a follow-up for the character that said, screw you, creepo, <laughs> and had no other... Okay, this is where I'm going to get real hardcore geeky, but you know she was actually supposed to be in Rocky Five. I did not. She was going to be a heroin addict. Rocky oh, was going to see her on the streets, yeah. Uh, uh, all drugged out, she, like, she didn't listen to his advice. But I'm so much happier with how they made it go down. If you remember in Rocky Balboa, she now has, like, an eight-year-old kid. And okay. you never see the dad. She's just, like, a single working mom. Like, I think that's yeah. such a, you know, that's as cliche as ending up a, a junkie. <laughs> but it's a better story yeah. for her to me. Like, uh, I, 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 not yeah. that she found success. She definitely kind of had a rough life and never really found her way. But not that she ended up like... I would hate if there was just a scene of Rocky like, Marie, you should have listened to me. You know what I mean? You should have listened to the creepo. <laughs> yeah, ah, the creepo was right. Uh, but anyway, I, man, that first Rocky, uh, I think, is the best. And what do you think about uh, Apollo Creed? I, I enjoy his character. 
I do. I love him. I love how he's like this over-the-top cartoon version of Muhammad Ali, who's like already kind of a cartoon person in our world. Yeah. <laughs> but he is even more over-the-top. But the thing I love about him is he's like Ric Flair, but the wrestling character, not the dude. Yeah. In that, like, most of the scenes with him is showing how he's not really a showboater, he's really this kind of evil businessman. That's what I thought was so cool, because it ends up not being about all the things it could have been about, like Rocky taking on a a bigger fighter, or even like a race thing. It's cool to me that it ends up instead about being a guy who's a part of the boxing business. You know what I mean? Like, Creed kind of represents industry. Like, he Creed, he's at Creed, the top. Creed is the face of the company. Exactly, exactly. But they, but they play it that way, which I, I find so cool that it's like... Yeah. Yeah, that's... You're so right, though. It's like he's, you know, he's like, I'm staying on top. Um, to stay on top, I'm going to sort of stage this elaborate storyline where this kid gets this once-in-a-lifetime chance, and then I, you know, trash him. The other thing I yeah. love about Rocky is that he loses. Oh, yeah, that, it's probably... the Like, if he won, it wouldn't be... I don't think it would be his known. That's really interesting. So you think if Rocky has a traditional happy Hollywood ending, it wouldn't have become what it became? No, it would have been, it would have been in one of those nice, feel-good sports movies that you see like mm-hmm. about the the underdog who comes up he wins and now he's now he's making a ton of money and he's the best right but what what what's special about rocky is it's like oh yeah he's the underdog so of course he loses right what were you thinking expecting this guy to win well, I'll tell you, there's nothing better than that scene of him with his eyes swollen shut, just screaming yep. for Adrian. Like, that's one of those things where it's become so mimetic, you know? Like, you almost know Rocky screaming at Adrian before you've even seen Rocky. Yeah. But then yeah. if you actually sit down and watch it, that scene is so gripping and powerful. Like, it really does oh, yeah. transcend the pop culture shorthand it's become. He no, doesn't yeah. care. The match ends and all he wants is, you know, I did this for you, this woman I love. Like, that is so badass to me. There's, there's no denying that. Now, what do you think about the whole fight scene? The fight scene with Rocky and Apollo Creed is so weirdly dreamlike. Like, it feels like it's out of another movie. Like, I, I love that whole movie, but it has a very, you know, down-to-earth directorial style. Like, it's meant to feel like, you know, you're just there, but, you're on the streets with him. And then the fight scene is, like, like I say, like, a, a, almost artfully done. I, I, I agree, but I feel like most, most of the Rocky movies that I remember very well, always have that sort of almost otherworldly feel to the scene when they're in the fight. Rather than it just be like an action movie, like, the if they do use slow motion, it, it feels like you're experiencing that, that, like, second of pain when that person's being punched. Or that person's, like, it feels like it's, it's really conveying that to you. Yeah, no, it works as a really cool contrast, right? Like, reality is gritty and shitty and hard. But fighting, yeah. or whatever art form you relate to, because that's the thing I love about those movies, you, I don't give a shit about boxing or any sport, but you can kind of yeah. put whatever you want to accomplish in there, you know what I mean? It, 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 it's representative, so I agree, like, uh, you know, it, it's something Scorsese kind of did the inverse on, almost, in Raging Bull with De Niro. Like, the boxing yeah. part, he was more showing the reality of, like, paying to watch somebody get beat up. You know what I mean? Yeah, which which is something that at the time was important to to realize. Oh yeah, no hate on Raging Bull. I'm just saying it's interesting, like the fact that yeah, yeah. I think part of Rocky's feel good nature versus something like Raging Bull, which is you know more like the Dark Knight Returns of fighting movies. <laughs> like it's uh, <laughs> it's trying to be more realistic, like you say. Yeah. It, uh, 
I just think that's so interesting that like when when Rocky's fighting, even though as you say, like it's pretty much twenty minutes of seeing him lose and, and get a few shots in, like it 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 feels so uh, like something out of your deepest desires and dreams. You know? What yeah, I mean? he's getting those shots in, and that's that's like oh, I'm I'm gonna reach for it, I'm gonna go for that thing, and you get it done. You don't know if it's c- completed the goal yet, though, but it's a step in the right direction. Okay, I'm talking about a lot of the things I goddamn love about Rocky, but to get back to what I started off saying, the first, like, hour and a half of that movie, I don't know if part of it is just generational. You know, like, you and me were used to a way faster clip. <laughs> yeah. But the first 90 minutes of that movie is pretty much, like, nothing happening. Like, he's, you know, he's just hitting on Adrian in the pet store, and you're, you're seeing how his life operates, but almost in, like, a Lord of the Rings Tolkien describing the <laughs> shrubbery kind of way like you're like yeah you know what i mean like if if a more contemporary director directed that movie you feel like they'd establish like yeah he's working class and maybe a more uh yeah you know what i mean I, I, at most it might take a half an hour i don't know it was very much the style of the 70s they call it cinema verite that sort of documentary, because I think they really did have sort of highbrow aspirations with that movie. Anyway, that's the impression I get. They didn't necessarily think they were making just like a cheap crowd pleaser. <laughs> I think they really no, no. Were... I definitely feel like that's kind of what people seem to think back on it a little bit as. It's like, oh, it's an action movie, but it's like, it's it's more than that. It 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 actually like yeah. It, it tried to be something above the. The 70s action movie. And where I'm different than you is, like, to me, that's the the one negative of it. (laughs) The one negative (laughs) of of the first Rocky to me is, like, it doesn't so much know what it is as much as those later ones would, in my mind. Well, yeah, I I feel that gives Rocky more charm. Yeah? So is the first one your favorite, then? At the moment, I still haven't seen Creed, which is a problem, I know. Uh, Out of the the six total, uh, Mm. excluding Creed, it's definitely my favorite. See, whereas for me, so reflective already of our differences of taste, Rocky Four is my favorite. <laughs> like, the one that well, most people consider having jumped the shark <laughs> was my favorite. <laughs> I do love Rocky Four. I won't, I won't say anything negative about it. Like, Rocky but, literally has to defeat an evil Russian to save Christmas. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's too true. <laughs> anyway, okay, we blathered on about Rocky for far too long. Okay, so we're going to spin the Wheel of Geek for the next entry, and we have landed on Ravnica, the magic card set from 2005. Ravnica, where ancient guilds rule a city that covers the world. For 10,000 years, their sacred laws protected the peace and cast light in the darkness. But nothing lasts forever. So Ravnica Block, fantastic set. One of the sets that really, really got me into Magic Cards. Now, if you guys don't know, Magic Cards, greatest card game ever made. There's there's thousands of cards at this point. And Ravnica introduced the idea of a ginormous city planet that's made up of guilds. Okay. And now in Magic Cards, there are five colors, each coordinated to a type of mana which is how you cast spells. So for these, there's there's Swamp, which is black, 
Island, which is blue, mountain, which is red, plains, which is white, and forest, that's green. And what Ravnica does is combine two of those types of mana and make a guild out of it. So you get swamp, black mana, and mountain, red mana. You mix those together, you get Rakdos, which are a bunch of crazy, demon-loving, chaos-loving goblins that, that just like to destroy things and are generally considered by the rest of the the inhabitants of the, ci- the, the, the city planet to be pretty shitty people. And so, on this planet, there's there's a guild that that uh, that governs the other one. Well, not governs the other ones, but it's like the police force, which is Boros. That's right, white red. And so that white, which is usually like the healing, the the order mixed with the red, which is which I'm in this in this case is fiery passion. So a fiery passion for keeping order in this city. That's Boros right there. And they'll, they'll, they'll smite you with fire. The angels will come down from the heavens. And you're, if, if, you've, if you've made them angry, you, you get what you deserve. The, the heavens are going to rain down their wrath, and you're going to be dead. Okay, so it's very biblical in nature. <laughs> well, n- no, no, no. Those, those two, similarly. But, again, in, in Ravnica, angels aren't exactly uncommon. Angels walk the streets, angels lead the guilds. Well, an angel leads the guild of Ra- of of Boros. So it's not it's it's it does have demons, angels, but it also has dragons, goblins, ogres, uh hydras. You you've got everything. Giant spiders. Everything you could imagine in a stereotypical fantasy setting. Okay. You'll find you'll find on the on in Ravnica. My 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 attachment to Ravnica, I, it it comes from when I first started getting money, first started getting paid, and I was like, "What's out? There's Cold Snap, garbage set, pretty, like, had no story to it, had no interesting cards." Then there was Ravnica. Ravnica's got guild leaders that you're looking for. It's got it's got color combos so you can build these cool decks. It's 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 an amazing block. That, like, truly four magic cards, I think, defined where they were going. Okay, what do you mean by that? Well, because they they used to have, before uh, 8th edition, they had an old school style of of, um, borders for the cards. And so those borders in 8th edition were switched to a new, more digital style. And so the cards started to feel a bit different. And it started to feel a bit lost. Cold Snap was an old block that came from, uh, that came, that was a follow-up from Ice Age, one of the blocks from the 90s. So it, it was a, it was a, it was a bad decision that they just had laying around when they couldn't have any other ideas, which is kind of where they were at. And then they released Ravnica. And Ravnica seems to have inspired later sets to a huge degree. Later sets started introducing three three color tribes. They started doing the two colors again, like certain certain ra- like goblins would be like black black uh, black red in a later set, and so there'd be a, a swamp goblins, mountain goblins, and you combine them into a deck very similar to how Ravnica did that with the with the uh, the, the guilds. Okay. And so I, I feel it has. A, a huge, a huge history 
four magic cards. But whether I put it above Rocky <clears throat> is the big question here. And Magic oh. is interesting to me. Like uh, For myself, personally, I like Magic the Gathering a lot more in theory than I do in practice. I love the idea of it. I love the mythology of it. I love hearing you explain the uh, the stories behind all the different sets. And I actually have a ton of fun playing it if you're playing it with the right kind of people, which I think oh. is almost impossible to find anybody to, who, who fits that criteria for me. Yeah, Magic Cards it, it is a very competitive game, which causes people to bicker, argue... Well, listen, but... I, I love competition. I think you can't really have fun playing a game if you want to... You know what I mean? Those people who are like, well, I can't just be yeah. fun. It's like, well, it, but... it's not a game. <laughs> like, you have to want to win. Sure. But to me, I find but What I'm that... meaning with Magic is, is when people are getting competitive, instead of just trying to beat the opposing player, especially in a multiplayer game, where it all becomes about... T talking to people at the table and being like, oh, no, 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 you don't want to attack me. You want to attack this guy. Don't worry about me. My plan is to kill you later, but I'm not going to tell you that. See, but that's strategy. That's really cool to me. I, I, I just find the general community quite uh, negative. Well, anyway, I'll, I'll give it something, but I'm telling you right now, there's no goddamn way it's better than Rocky. <laughs> I'll, you know what? I'll agree with you there. Okay, we're spinning the Wheel of Geek to get the next entry, and it is No Way Out, the WWE pay-per-view from 2004, with a main event of Eddie Guerrero versus Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship. Latino! It's an incredible match, now i got to ask you right now. Okay, first, a little bit of background on this particular period in uh, World Wrestling Entertainment. They had, like, the weirdest mix of people on that roster. Yeah. And they had the split rosters for Raw and SmackDown. You know, they have some of the WCW stars, like Ultimo Dragon yeah. and Goldberg. Ultimo Dragon. And, and Goldberg's WWE tenure is, like, hated by pro wrestling fans. But I kind of love it. <laughs> it, it, like, it. It's pretty hard to be like, man, seeing Goldberg isn't fun. So anyway, the really interesting thing to me about this period, it's them going after different markets. Like, man, if you watch this pay-per-view, you're reminded how aggressively they were going after Latino markets at that time. Well, half the matches on the card. Right? And, and like, the focus on Chavo versus Ray, there's this yeah. huge focus on, like, family and what family is in Latino communities. And, like, it's just so... That you know what I mean? Whereas like now, like what ha what's happening now with Kalisto, it's so much more 2016 where they're kind of trying to like make it accessible to everybody. Yeah, which is still working. They're, they're no longer fighting for markets; they're fighting for anybody. Exactly, because now it's like a global market, right? But it's so interesting yeah. to see then that like they, there was sort of more regional thing to it. Oh yeah, well, well, Latino community makes sense due to the U.S. being having such a high Latino population yeah. and bordering Mexico down into the, the, the South, South America and Central America. Yeah. 
but it's just so interesting to see in the product, right? Like, you don't necessarily remember that depending on when you were watching it, like what age you were. Yeah, you go back yeah. and watch it, it's like, oh, man, they were really, like, gunning for that. But the other market I wanted to talk about, and, and maybe it's not so much a market, but it's just so... So it's kind of hard to talk about the Attitude Era without talking about, like, the kind of <laughs> trailer park culture of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. The protagonist being, like, this beer-swilling redneck. Who beats up his boss. Who beats up his boss. But man, if you want to see like real, just aggressively chasing after the white trash dollar, it's this era, like early to mid 2000s. Oh, yeah. Like one of the matches on this card is Jamie Noble fighting his wife because his wife stole yep. all his money. You know what I mean? Like it's so weird. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very strange. Like the, the, the non, the non like headlining matches, very odd. Yeah. Like that, the Jamie Noble, uh, and then you have like the APA fighting the world's greatest tag team. Yeah, it's, the APA's gimmick was like we're the dudes you the meet APA. at a bar. <laughs> yeah, they're they're literally they they could be bouncers. Yeah, exactly. It, it's just so weird how pro wrestling like that's the imagined audience for pro wrestling, but it rarely is so central to the show if you actually watch it, right? Like most critics of pro wrestling in my opinion, have never actually engaged with it in any way. But you see where a lot yeah, of those stereotypes and a lot of those opinions were formed when you watch a show like this, when one of the matches yeah. is a guy beating up his wife because she divorced him and got a lot of his money in the settlement, right? Oh, like, God. It, yep. it, it, yep. It's not... <laughs> I don't know, for me in so many ways, like me and you talk about this a lot, but the PG era is kind of a blessing. If McMahon and his, his cronies weren't weren't limited by yeah like it becoming pg it would be a little a little dangerous to tune in every monday night to me it becoming pg like turned it more into a superhero cartoon kind of shonen show like it's just good guys beating yeah. up bad guys and people hate that because they feel it's a little softer but to me it's like if you actually go and watch this stuff a lot of it is like i'm glad this kind <laughs> of thing is gone yeah I'm, I'm glad the the like blatant racism the blatant sexism and and just the the general dirtiness of yeah the early 2000s late 90s is is over that being said like they were great at the time not something i'd want to watch now as much that being said there's a ton i'm not saying that this pay-per-view isn't amazing yeah that being said there's a ton of great stuff on this card like and i really love the story so one thing that i'm often critical about with stuff going on now is i loved how stories at this time and before similar to comic book stories, would influence, like, they would kind of go across the board. So, for example, yeah. this time there was a storyline of, like, the Guerrero Civil War, where Gory and, uh, Gory Chavo Sr. and Chavo had, like, turned on Eddie. And then they were kind yeah. of turning on everybody and, and becoming obsessed with their heritage and saying that, you know, like, Mysteria was selling out by being in music videos <laughs> and on the cover of magazines and wearing a mask <laughs> and stuff like Like, that was such a cool story, but I also love that it was like eddie was a part of that but eddie was doing his own thing yeah i feel that's something for whatever reason they're more hesitant to do now which is actually really cool in my mind like that it feels like a shared universe yeah the the only thing that i can say recently that had from what i know that had happened was uh that's like this is the undertaker lesnar thing when when undertaker like swapped himself out with rollins yeah and then it has to be the whole the whole backstage crew trying to make sure they don't just rip through the entire stadium yeah like, i love that i love that the whole every every wrestler has put aside their feuds to be like we have to make sure 
this doesn't happen right now. That's such a good point, actually. Like, le- anything Lesnar does, it's like, they kind of, it feels like everybody has a, a, a token in that game, which I really like. Like, that's yeah. something unique he brings. So speaking of Lesnar, the main event, obviously, you know, n- not quite famous, but uh, but a pretty well-remembered match is, uh, is Guerrero versus Lesnar for the title. And I wanted to ask you, like, what do you feel about Lesnar in this period being way more talkative, like, actually having a lot of mic time and a lot of straight-up comedy segments? <laughs> like, he, in the build to this, he showed up in uh, in, I, in a sombrero, like, making fun of yeah, him and stuff. Yeah, with, with the mariachi band. I do love it, but the new Lesnar is just such an amazing event by himself yeah with paul Heyman, nothing will top that for me but not again not saying that this lesnar isn't amazing like like i i love hearing him on the mic do you for me it's like it's so rare that a character gets better like a decade plus into his career like lesnar's one of the few i can think of but yeah lesnar gold dust i don't know how many sean michaels oh that's a tough one because gold dust to me i think he became a better wrestler but i'll still always love that like mid-90s gold dust when he was more aggressively gay and Shawn michaels it's the same thing it's like people always talk about that return he had really great matches, but I'll always love New Generation era Michaels more, like, yeah. personally. But anyway, uh, yeah, like something <laughs> I wanted to say about Lesnar was, you know, one of the <laughs> one of the moments in the video package, in uh, which, which, by the way, is like WWE's greatest skill is doing those video packages before the feuds. You know what I mean? Oh they, yeah, they they they're strangely fantastic. They, they're so good. They like know how to pick what worked and what didn't out of a story. But anyway, um. There's a part where Lesnar goes, I really hope you are addicted. Addicted to losing. <laughs> I was like, no. Oh, God. <laughs> so Brock from that period, to me, always just makes me think of, like, a, a grade-eight bully. Like, he's yeah. not smart. <laughs> he's constantly kind of putting his foot in his mouth. But it's kind of endearing, right? Yeah, like, like yeah. it kind of works. That he's just... That's like him and Angle were, earlier on, they were they were friends. And they were, like, Angle's trying to make him not be as much of a bully anymore. Yeah, exactly. He's, that friendship between them being over, I kind of like how he went back to being a bit of a bully. Yeah, it's just so funny to see that comparison, like, to see him kind of... You know, it's not that he's bad, it's not that he lacks confidence, it's just, as we're saying, he comes across uh, as uh, sort of aggressively mature. And then you can contrast that with Eddie, who just come back after, you know, being fired for his uh, his drug addiction. And that guy is, like, fired yeah. up. <laughs> and some of his promos from that period yeah. where he's talking about how, like, you know, not going to let himself be defined by his addictions and how he's going to... You know what I mean? Like, those are some of my favorite oh, yeah. promos of all time. And they're a little heart-wrenching to watch, uh, knowing, obviously, that he would fail to his demons just, like, a year later. Like, that's the reason why that guy is one of the greatest of all time, because he could do comedy, drama, and action storylines, like all with the same skill so anyway we'll, we'll talk about the main event mostly and then move on but i just want to ask you like you know uh, it, it's hampered for some people by the uh, in, uh, interference by goldberg right so one thing i really want to mention yes yeah so one thing i really I'm, want I'm to mention you. that i loved is midway through the card uh uh brock and goldberg just kind of have a confrontation and goldberg ends up jackhammering jackhammering yeah. him but instead of them using that as like, oh, now Lesnar's hurt a bit, so it'll be easier for Eddie to beat him, 
they use it as the opposite, and they make Brock that come out furious. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, all the jackhammer did was make him matter, so the match starts with him, like, destroying Eddie. How how old was Lesnar at this? Like, 25? Yeah, I think so. I think as depressing as that is, we might be older than Lesnar was at this period. <laughs> so, so like, his him being less mature, I guess, at least works a bit better. I, well, I get what you're saying, but it's just, like... To me, it's it's just how it plays for me, and he comes across oh, yeah. as this big juvenile baby a lot of the time. Whereas I, but, you know, and and that doesn't stop from him being like we share a, a pretty minority opinion that he's like greatest of all time in terms of in ring <laughs> work, which yeah. uh, I'm sure is yeah. making a lot of wrestling fans <laughs> roll their eyes. But like, I, I just think he he really does have it all in in between those bell rings like there's nobody like him but it, it's just so interesting to see how it took so long for them to figure out how to you know what i mean like making him this kind of silent assassin and oh yeah well and i i think a lot of it probably had to do with how young he was when he first started out there yeah but i also think it's like that's how they kind of traditionally did badasses like they just fit him into that that's mold true. and i think they have that problem a lot is like a lot of people work well as like a trash talking badass but not everybody does yeah and that's what i think of as lesnar like he you know it, it, it just happens to be how he talks but the way that dude sounds is not really intimidating <laughs> no no unless you've got him in that like sit down slow interview style that is so true but even he that is something he's gotten way better at that's true i think that has to do with his ufc period working with them i think they helped him out a lot with sit down be scary you'll be good yeah that's interesting well anyway we're getting all over the place but i just want to ask you yeah like what did you think of the you know goldberg coming in with the spear during the match does that hamper it for you does that make you feel it well, takes away from anytime I get to see Goldberg spear somebody, I'm happy. And it is electric, man. Like that. Yeah. Th- th- those guys had a real chemistry, and it- it's too bad that you know fans, uh, those New York fans, felt the need to not ever really let that match get started in Mania. Because I, th- I think it could have yeah. been. Uh, it could have been. Not to put all the blame on the fans, but I, I, I don't know. I do feel like they were sort of stuck in a position where th- there was no getting people on board with that, and they kind of were. Yeah. They. No, I, I agree that that match could have been so much better if the two performers felt there was any reason they should put their heart into it, and even if just at the event people got into them coming out, I think they would have put more effort into it. But instead, they both sandbagged the hell out of the match. And the biggest pop from that entire match is Stone Cold stunnering both of them. Uh, it looks like we're in agreement there. It's like the Goldberg thing, it was just kind of a, a storyline going on separately. And the greatest thing about it is Brock kicks out. So Eddie still gets to beat him on his own. Yeah. Like if Eddie had just got that pin, even though part of Eddie's thing is that he cheats, right? Like that's another yeah. thing that helps is that's a, a predominant part of his character is that he is unashamed to steal wins. Oh so yeah, no, it, no. It's very good that it wasn't someone who would have been upset at interference in the match. And like I say, I, I, I think it makes all the difference that Lesnar kicks out and it's the frog splash that actually takes him down. Yeah. Because you still though, get the same. I do like, love I love the DDT onto the belt. Like just emotionally it gets me, man, when Eddie hugs Gory and his mom's crying and then that fan hands him the flag. So cool. So anyway, overall, though, it's like that match is incredible, and then there's a lot of <laughs> very uh, 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 reflective of the era, forgettable, like, oh, yeah, this guy was, like, the Basham brothers are in yep. the opening match <laughs> with Shaniqua. Holly I... versus Rhino. Yeah. Excellent. Fantastic. Totally a match I would have watched. 
And that was like just off of a feud of <laughs> Hardcore Holly with Lesnar. Oh, God. Uh, no one cared and no one ever will. Oh, my God, yeah. Can you imagine being like, yeah, my favorite is Hardcore Holly? <laughs> or even Rhino. That dude's one of my all-time least favorites, but I love how he looks. Like, I just want to cast... To me, he just reminds me of, like, a bigger, fatter RVD with scragglier hair. <laughs> Hard. Like, if they Hard teamed up... Rhino. If they teamed up and were a tag team, I would just be so sad. I always want to cast him in, like, a sword and sorcery fantasy movie. I, As I just, a barbarian, at least? Like, exactly. Like, I yeah, just, yeah. I love his Put look. Put a bunch of furs on him, give him a large axe or a sword. He'd work. He'd work. The aesthetic of him as a person is so interesting. Like, he looks like he came out of a Conan comic to me. I think he's terrible at pro wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, okay, so. Oh, this is a tough one. It's got one of the most incredible moments for me in in, in that period's history. But it's also a real stark reminder of the things that are kind of glossed over when people talk about that time. Yeah. So, where do we rank this? It's it's lower than Rocky. But is... And my personal attachment to Ravnica, but for the lead-up, for the payoff for, with Guerrero, for what it led to in WrestleMania 20, uh-huh. even with the Big Show Cena-Kurt Angle match, not the Glesner-Goldberg feud, I'll, I'll put it above Ravnica. Just okay. because WrestleMania 20 is so such a great WrestleMania in my mind. Yeah, I agree. Oh, and we forgot to mention one of our favorite parts. Those great Undertaker promos kind of sprinkled for uh, the dead will rise in oh, 28 yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. The dead man. Yeah. All right, well, speaking of uh, white trash, next, the Geek Wheel has brought us to ATV Off-Road Fury 2, the PlayStation 2 game from 2003. The PlayStation 2 classic. I will not label it as such. I refuse. Now, I, love... I have played so many hours of this game. Okay, I love video games. I exclusively love Japanese video games. If there aren't, like, <laughs> bright-eyed anime characters in it, I ain't interested. And what I hate even more is, like, racing simulators, which I think you have to be <laughs> basically a sociopath to enjoy. So, I'm suggesting that this goes at the bottom. I'm not putting it above any of those three. But at least let me tell you, why I love ATV Off-Road Fury 2. The, the, for me, it's the personal attachment. I, I put probably a good hundred hours of this in with, with my brothers, just racing around the track, doing stupid, like, jumps, 
listening to whatever music it had. So much of the music on there is something that if I hear now, I have a, a close attachment to. I gotta be honest, it's a decent soundtrack. Like, there's a Jurassic 5 song, which is one of my favorite <laughs> rap What's on Golden of is time. amazing. I love that song. Yeah. Uh, Shinobi vs. Dragon Ninja is terrible as Lost Prophets are. But that song will always be something that if I hear it come on, I get excited. Yeah. <laughs> that song so, means a lot to me. Yeah. But Lost Prophets shitty human being he he was arrested in 20, 2012 with 13 sexual offense charges against children including attempted rape on a one-year-old girl the exchanges contain grotesque and often sadistic references about what they'd like to do to the children including talk at one point of teaching one of the babies how to take drugs much of the detail is simply too horrific to report like, oh my that, god! He's a, he's a horrible human being. It's not about the band. None of this is about the band. It's about ATV Off-Road Fury 2, a game where I get to make a ri- guy who rides an ATV ride an ATV that has a logo with a bomb on it, listen to some music, race around a track, do some goofy stunts. It's like Tony Hawk Pro Skater with ATVs. Yeah, except not incredible, which uh, <laughs> Tony Hawk Pro Skater is. <laughs> But it's the, it's the same idea as Tony Hawk. Mm-hmm. I do love the Tony Hawk feel to this, where it's like you got that soundtrack going, you're racing around with them. Like, that's one thing I don't know. My experience with Tony Hawk isn't multiplayer. ATV Off-Road Fury 2, I played with my three brothers, racing around the tracks, doing stunts, and trying to knock each other off. So, but you're willing to concede that as of the list we have so far, it's going to the bottom. Yeah, the list so far is, is a bit... A bit too high, like high and mighty for for ATV Offroad Fury 2 to challenge anyone on it. Okay, so ATV Offroad Fury 2, the fourth greatest thing of all time so far. We're gonna spin that wheel of geek, and what do we got? The 1994 live album classic, the posthumous release, Nirvana MTV Unplugged. Is that Kennedy? I don't think MTV would let us play that. So speaking of music, and speaking of music that sort of uh, may have defined your youth, this is. This is one of my favorite albums of all time. Yeah, as people are no doubt aware, I'm sure MTV had this series at the time called MTV Unplugged, where they'd get bands to come and do acoustic sets of their hit songs, and all of them are completely forgettable. You know, it was, it, it's a cool idea, but nothing ever really came of it. Like, the, there's a Neil Young one, a Bob Dylan one. Yeah. Bands usually past their prime are ones that weren't that good to begin with. But, you know, Cobain, who I, I think was a dude who, like, just took everything really personally and always wanted to leave his own mark on stuff he did and always wanted what he did to be special in himself in some way and he had the star power to make that happen he made his like way more than just a live set of come as you are it's an all-around amazing experience the dvd is probably what i'd say the best way to experience it See, that's really interesting. Uh, you know, we're going to be ranking the CD. Maybe the video will show up later on our list. But th- that is a big part that you have to uh, uh, keep in mind, I think, is the differences between the two. Like, obviously, at the yeah. time, you know, we were infants, but the CD came out before the video for it. And if you read yeah. reviews at that time, it's really interesting because people talk about that feeling of, like, hearing a voice from beyond. Yeah, this, that would be. Yeah, that sort of eerie sense of, like, he, you know this guy who's just so recently died in a pretty horrific way and singing sort of his most intimate recordings ever, right? There is this really yeah. intimate feel because it is a relatively small crowd and, and and the acoustic nature of it. But the video is famous for the fact that, you know, Kurt wanted it to look 
as he says, like a funeral. But there's almost like a cartoonish kind of quality to that that makes it softer and warmer to me. The audio... Definitely. But but I, I have to feel like... I get what you're saying, and I like watching the video, but you know I feel there's something more powerful in just, uh, in just listening to it. But anyway, the highlights of it... Uh, uh, the cover of uh, the Lead Belly cover. I can't really argue at all. That's like his. That's one of my favorite vocal performances ever. It's um, it's absolutely astonishing. Like, I just, and... I didn't. It's it's the last track on the album, I believe, and it's amazing. It's yeah. it's the best song on the album by far, which is insane when you listen to the rest of the album. <laughs> And, and, the, and the other thing is, like, sort of having eclectic musical taste is almost just expected in 2016. You know what I mean? Music yeah, is yeah. a lot more accessible. And as a result, people do listen to music from all different eras and from all different countries. The idea of, like, have this being an eclectic set list, it almost doesn't feel that way, right? That's one of the most interesting things to me about it. Like, 20-plus years after the case, somebody being into Bowie, the Meat Puppets, the Vaselines, and Lead Belly... Like, that seems like, well, yeah, those bands all sort of fit into one category, right? They're all kind of like an (laughs) alt sound. Like, if you like one, you'll probably like the other. But at the time, that's really what it was, you know, most, I would say, uh, uh, defined by. That's what made it feel even more personal to me, was everything about this performance for Cobain seemed personal. Every song seemed picked. A little more peek into his musical listening habits. It's it's what he would want to, like... If it's not like what he would want to play, I also love the uh, the like in the 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 live banter, you know, like him and uh, yeah, him talking to Novelisk about Davy and Goliath episodes and <laughs> things like that. <laughs> like that's the kind of stuff I love about a live performance, especially a live performance with a much smaller, more intimate feeling audience. Yeah, and uh, you know we went over it a bit, but yeah, the song choices: Jesus doesn't want me for a sunbeam. The the David Bowie cover, Man Who Sold the World. Yeah, it's not close the lead belly cover but i do love that song so much to me like what you know when you're talking about a pop star at the level of cobain it, it i find a lot of people kind of get lost into finding them by their fame or their personal background because it's really hard not to right yeah but when you if you're trying to think more of what they did like as an artist to me it's his vocals like i really yeah. do think he's one of the best vocalists in the history of pop music like he you know it, it, it's it, there's just something it's hard to say without falling into cliche definitive sound whenever he it's just so uh, emotional like it's so raw and and unfettered like you just feel like you really are you know hearing something that he didn't want anyone else to hear and to be able to do that when you're selling records in the millions is a really incredible skill i think well he does get it across on a bunch of his on on his on the other nerve out on nirvana albums Mm -hmm. this one particularly i felt was again i think this is the the band's greatest album all right so where are we placing this thing on the list i'm reaching for the stars with this one (laughs) you're saying number one i'm reaching for the stars i'm saying number one oh is it better than rocky (laughs) that is that's the question because rocky Man, that montage, like you watch Rocky running up those stairs, I don't care how many times you've seen that, like it's, it pumps you up, you feel ready to take on the world. 
Yeah, but just think, where did you sleep last night? He belts out that line with his just iconic voice. Yeah. Like, yeah, that last, I, like, shivers the whole night through. Oh, my let, God. Oh, gets to me. Gets under my skin. This record definitely uh, affects me in a more visceral way than Rocky does. But I feel better <laughs> after watching Rocky. But the question is, do you want to feel better or do you want to experience something that's well, just a masterpiece on its own? Well, here's the thing. Rocky is great. Would I want to watch Rocky as many times as I listen to this album? And the answer is no. <laughs> like, exactly. I could... <laughs> I, have, I could listen to this album forever. Yeah. It, it's... It's on every little... I own the CD. It's on my computer. It's on every little electronic device I have. All right. Okay, I suppose I'm with you. Ranking at number one so far, Nirvana MTV Unplugged, the live recording from 1994. Okay, let's spin that wheel of geek. See if anything can top Kurt Cobain and his Funtime Boys. So this will this will determine our one to six, the first the first half. The first the half list. of all geek everything of all time. And we have landed on Venom, Lethal Protector, the 1993 six-issue miniseries by David Micheline and Mark Bagley. No! Brock! Brock! Surprise! He never triggered my spider sense. Such low-grade weapon here. Have some of mine. Venom <laughs> is maybe the greatest Marvel character of all time. <laughs> uh, did you uh, did you say greatest? I think I had something in my ear there. No, no, no. You heard me correctly, <laughs> as I stated and written stone. Okay. That Eddie Brock Venom is the greatest Marvel character of all time. Okay. Here's the thing for me: late '80s Venom is a great character. When he first appears in that Amazing Spider-Man arc, <laughs> Rob is showing off his Venom mug that he's drinking from <laughs> as we're recording. <laughs> that is amazing. It's the greatest thing of all time. Listen, Venom is, a, is Venom is a great visual, and that story that first introduces him, I think, is incredible. That this man, sort of driven by his desire to be Peter Parker, but he kind of manipulates that with his paranoia. And, 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 and the state he's in is that he hates Peter Parker. Yeah. And this lets him bond with his alien form that hates Parker just as much. How, like, creepy they were willing to go with it. Like, that, you know, the oh, scene where were... we're introduced to him where he's pretending to be Peter when Mary Jane comes home. Yeah. Like, I, I still think that's incredible. And I, you know, I'm somebody who unabashedly loves Todd McFarlane as an artist, so I think McFarlane draws the hell out of that stuff oh man it's fantastic but this series in my opinion is kind of the beginning of the end because this is it's basically his face turn this is the beginning is. of is. venom as an anti-hero as opposed and to... it, it feels it feels very much like well if we can't have venom let's have a bunch of different <laughs> let's venoms. have six more venoms okay that's a good because if it didn't work with carnage which well it did it did work people love carnage as much as yeah, no, th- no, this really uh, Carnage isn't much of a character. Okay, people who like Carnage love Carnage. <laughs> Most comic <laughs> fans hate Carnage, but I'm going to say it right now, unabashedly. I think that first three-part Carnage story is really good. It, it reads a lot like, in my opinion, the current Batgirl series is going to read now, where it's a middle-aged man kind of trying to write the time kids are living in at that time, right? 
yeah. it's him trying to make a villain for the 90s. Like, he likes grunge music. He sees, <laughs> he has this very nihilistic attitude that life is worthless. You know what I mean? There's yeah. a lot of that happening now in Marvel and DC where they're doing all these characters that, like, like to be on Tumblr and, you know, uh, want, want a lot of followers and stuff that people are really into but I think is going to age really badly because it's all, like, middle-aged yeah. dudes trying to know what life is like for teenagers. It, it's, it's pandering. It's pandering for a generation that will eventually not be the generation people are pandering to anymore. That well, doesn't age well. Well, that's really interesting. I don't even see it as pandering. I just see it as, like, it's, you know, something like uh, Lena Dunham's Girls is somebody who has actually lived those experiences, sharing those experiences. That's, Whereas that, yeah. David Micheline, you know, trying to, like, put themselves... And again, that's part of being a writer. You're trying to... You're imagining other people. I'm not saying you should only write about what you've lived yeah. through. I, I just feel like it's not so much pandering as much as it just, you know, maybe at the time it felt like carnage. This is a real villain for now. And now you kind of feel like, <laughs> oh, he's in a in a plaid shirt. He <laughs> hates everybody and says, why try? Like, he's such a Gen X character. But anyway, yeah. despite that, I actually think, like, carnage is underrated i think he you know something you said to me is that i don't know how you stand on carnage now but in the past you told me that you always felt like it's just such a clear attempt to do marvel's joker but like the best way i can say it is marvel's joker if it was joker from the batman animated series except way more great like he kills a baby i think in that first well series. he he's it is also the 90s where everything is dark and gritty and yeah. things have to die but yeah like, that that is an attempt to, to kind of make a mythology behind the symbiote thing and to make more symbiotes it kind of works yeah. and then venom and spidey having to like reluctantly team up that so, that was like i did like the venom and spidey reluctantly teaming up as as we're about to talk about with lethal protector when you do it again <laughs> So, like, this is straight up him becoming, like, no, I'm going to go to San Francisco and become a hero. Yeah. Basically. And this is the beginning of him, you know, them wanting him to be in his own series and their forever apprehension about having just a straight up villain be in their own series, right? Okay, so that's, historically, that's kind of what this is. The beginning of Venom, you know, being reshaped as, as a good guy character. So, Rob, I know you are a man who, at least at one time in your life, had a framed print of Mark Bagley's Spider-Man, Venom, and Carnage. So, I take it you're a Mark Bagley guy. Me and Mark Bagley, I don't know him too well. <laughs> well, don't mean personally, but is no, Bagley no, no, like no, your... But... Is Bagley your definitive Venom artist? Is Bagley one of your favorites? Like The thing is, the later on Venom, like Agent Venom stuff, I do love... I, I don't know the artists of that time, but I do love that style, but... If you're going to tell me Venom, I'm going to think Mark Bagley, Todd McFarlane. The thing that's so funny about Bagley's Venom is, like, when you think Venom, you really think of that era. You know, there was always excuses for Venom to have all the uh, symbiote kind of, you know what I mean? Like, writhing around Yeah, him. he's got the giant fangs, the t- tongue going everywhere. Some sort exactly. of goo leaking out of his mouth. But then when you actually see the sort of definitive artist for a lot of that time, it's Bagley who's relatively conservative, especially by 90s standards. Like, Bagley more comes from the John Byrne school than the Todd McFarlane school. So for me, it's like, I, I like Bagley fine, but I, I more like a McFarlane or an Eric Larson or the people of that era that were doing things so exaggerated. I'm, I'm, I'm torn. Like, it, it's hard to choose between those two because I do love, like, the symbiote going everywhere, but I really also love the, the like, tight, focused look of Venom. 
Like, yeah, I, he. It, it's way more a focus on him as like an athlete. Like he looks like an Olympian swimmer or something to me. Yeah, he vaguely draws him. He's he's ripped. He's he looks he looks like Brock Lesnar under the suit. <laughs> Give him a giant fanged mouth and you're good. Eddie Brock Lesnar. I'm sure that's happened somewhere on the internet. That, right? Yeah, it must have. All right. Well, where are we ranking this baby? At? I do love Venom. I do love Venom. I don't love this series. It's not and right. I hate I hate those five symbiotes so much. Yeah. Terrible. And like I say, it was the beginning of the end. For me being a Venom fan. I really like Venom <laughs> for like two years. Well, if, I if say not, it's, it's not going up. What What's above ATV right now? What do we got above ATV? Ravnica is what's immediately above ATV off-road. Yeah, ATV. it's 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 not getting above Ravnica for me. As much as I love Venom, this isn't his, his crowning achievement in comics. Well, for me, I can't detach it from the history of what's going to come next. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, yeah. It, it was the beginning of a change for that character that sort of changed him from what made him interesting in the first place and made him a unique villain like lethal protector begins him as like evil spider-man you know what i mean yeah people write him off as that but like in that first in those first stories he's he's pretty complex like he's a unique new villain for for spidey to me but that's the beginning of like no he's black spider-man with fangs <laughs> that's yeah that's what he is <laughs> but, sometimes he kills people all right, next, for our next entry in the definitive ranked order of every single geek item ever made, <laughs> it is 2012's A Company Man. I was just on Netflix, didn't know what to expect, and in all honesty, it's one of my favorite foreign movies. This is uh, what you might call, uh, if you enjoyed The Raid 2, you may also like, right? Yeah. <laughs> which is the, which is the yeah. best way to find movies on Netflix, I say. So it's a South Korean film about this guy who looks just like a, a, a an office man. He goes to his, his manufacturing job. He, he sits in his cubicle. But really, that's all a front for when he goes and talks to the boss who hands him a, a hit who he has to kill. That, that's his that's his job. So he's a company man. He falls in love with a single mom and tries to quit. And the movie is basically the massive fallout of trying to leave any sort of... It, it's not a amazing amazingly unique story but when you try and leave the mob or or a company that's based around murdering people uh they're not quick to let you go especially if you're considered one of the 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 best best employees they have this movie has everything i kind of want out of kung fu action movies that that like like the raid 2 it's 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 just got everything i want from it it it's got a, a a guy who doesn't really have much else going for him other than this new person he's fallen in love with he's he's got a job and that's about it so it's it's him trying to find a way out now, it's just not working now this is a good example of something that we stand at odds about which is the idea of allegorical action pictures or really allegorical genre anything for me mm-hmm. i like an action movie when it is as comfortable as it can possibly be being an action movie whereas yeah. other action movies are always so desperate to be seen as something is worth more than an action movie which yeah you know i i see as this weird identity complex kind of thing where it's like you're ashamed to be what you are but i think they should just be that so for me mm-hmm. something like rocky is a way better example of an action movie than this because rocky is it, it gives you the goods it's a boxer who wants to become the best boxer in the world and that's all it's about it's really about nothing else than that. It's uh, it, it, it's hyper literal. Whereas you love this motion picture because uh, you, you know it, it it has a message that you relate to. Sort of fighting for love or or your true passions is more worthwhile than being defined by what you do for a living. But it, it's not embarrassed to be an actor. Right. This movie gives you the fights, 
the shootouts. It gives you everything you want. But it also has that little underlying... It's not rammed down your throat. You're not you're not feeling sick at the end of the movie because you're like, oh, I had to hear that so many times. But you also get a little more. Right. And it's not it's not something that feels forced, which is where that's where I'll agree with you. When it feels forced that these action movies have to have something else to them, that's when I'm like, well, this is just this is this is making me sad. Well, here's this is a movie I don't. Here's my watch. pitch for you: worse than No Way Out 2004, better. Than the Ravnica Magic Card set. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna fight for above No Way Out. I I cannot allow that to happen. I don't know. Like, there's no way the, the story of Eddie Guerrero coming back no from way addiction has its and winning moments. the title is uh, is worse than than this story. There's and, no way. And if that was all that No Way Out 2004 was, I'd agree. But No Way Out 2004 has Jamie Noble beating up his wife. A company man, Uh, maybe not on the level of that Brock Lesnar, Eddie Guerrero, like, feud and Eddie's story in general that led into Mania 20, but better than the pay-per-view overall. Oh, you know what? You almost convinced me. But here's my argument. I would rather have really high highs than spikes of highs and overall something great. But, that's what'll like, keep me be a wrestling fan. Wrestling always disappoints you. There's never like a perfect. But there's really high highs and really really low lows <laughs> in No Way Out 2004. If the lows weren't as low as they are, I'd give this to you easy. But yeah, that that Bash and Brothers Scotty Tuhati Rikishi match is uh, it, I, pretty exactly. forgettable. I okay, forget about it. Okay, you win this round. A company man is the third greatest anything of all time. I, I think I think that's where it belongs. Moving on, what we have next in our bag of tricks, 1994's The Adventures of Batman and Robin for the SNES, Sega Genesis, and Sega CD. That's right. We're ranking all three, though. They're pretty much different games. No, I will not... admit, my experience is with the SNES version. It's not for us to decide, unfortunately, right? These things, yeah. they're presented in front of us, and we have to rank them. That's all we can do. <laughs> I do enjoy this game. It's it's right it's after an incredible the, game. New, the new series, uh, right, the new series, The Adventures of Batman and Robin, right after... Like, part of Task, but it's like the rebranding of Task. Yeah, this is really, there's no change, except that it had a new title intro. Yeah. It hopes to draw more kids in, because that show was, like, aggressively adult. Like it, and, it, and this had more more Robin, right? Uh, the new show? That was the idea, but I feel, personally, if you go and watch those episodes, that is not the case. Like, oh, yeah. Harley Quinnade is from that, and Robin's in that episode, but it's not as if it feels like an aggressive inclusion to have him be in the adventures more, you know what I mean? Oh, okay. So, so the game, I yeah. I so, played so it. here's here's the thing about that game. It's okay. an amazing game, but why anybody remembers it is because of its visual style. It's one of the best looking games on that system. Well, because it and looks like like Tass, right? Exactly. It's one of the best examples of you know what I mean, capturing the spirit of a, of of something that had yeah, such capturing a capturing an art style when you wouldn't expect that from a game so much, especially back in the nineties. But even when I think of, like, the PlayStation 2, Batman the Animated Series-inspired games, they just... Those games look great, but they didn't capture the aesthetic and the world that Tim and Dini and everybody had created in that show, quite like this game does, in my opinion. 
That being said, the SNES version is focused like pretty much exclusively on this grappling mechanic that drives me insane. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, but the game is like 90% wall jumping and Batman shooting that grappling hook and you have to like swing from things. Oh, and you know my love of grappling in, in SNES games. Exactly, it is such a pain in the ass. <laughs> so it's not as fun to play as you might remember or just think by looking at it. And the other yeah. thing is, like, there's so many cutscenes where it's just, you know, the two sprites standing there and then the text coming on the screen. Yeah. And those are so badly done. They don't age well. And just the characters are so generic. Like, the thing about that show that's often praised, and rightfully so, is the writing. Like, that show's written really well and better than a lot of the comics coming out at the time. And that's something the game doesn't quite capture as well. I, I'll, but but you, you said the Sega CD version, right? It has... Their cutscenes are actually done in the style of the show, right? Exactly. Now, here's where it's a little bit tricky, is that the Genesis version and the CD version are basically different games. They're still kind of the same oh, yeah. thing. It's like an action-adventure. The Genesis game is more of a beat-em-up. You know, like you fight guys and then it says go, and then you move along. Okay. And it's way more focused on throwing batarangs. Okay. It's almost more like a run-and-gun, like Contra, except bat- batarangs instead of bullets. Yeah, so like that side-scrolling sort of shooting style. And the CD version, it adds like a little 3D driving sequence, which is really terrible. But the other thing it adds, as you already mentioned, is these amazing uh, cutscenes done by, I think, the same studio that worked on a lot of the show with all the same voice actors. Oh man, that's fantastic. The- the other really cool thing is that it has a uh, soundtrack done by Jesper Kidd, okay. who's the guy who he actually did the soundtracks for the Hitman series, the Assassin's Creed series, a lot of oh, like, wow. more contemporary games that I've never played. But the really cool thing is that, you know, another thing of the animated series that's so remembered is Shirley Walker's score, right? They had such a big budget, they actually had a live orchestra do all the music for that yeah. cartoon. So it's, it's amazing, right? And the soundtracks are so memorable and they're unique to each episode. Which is oh, like, yeah. no other cartoon is like that. And that's what the Sega CD, it, it has that feel to it? Is that what you're saying? No, actually, he does more of, like, almost a John Carpenter, like, dark synth soundtrack. And it's oh, okay. so different, but it's so cool. Like, as a I, contrast to that show, yeah. having the classical orchestration kind of going for, like, a Danny Elfman thing. It instead has this weird, like, you know, all synth and, like, slow, dark metal vibe that... You know, makes it feel more like a neon noir kind of... Yeah, man, it's so cool. And the little segments themselves are very, you know, they're kind of rote. They're just like Batman fights Poison Ivy, Batman fights the Joker. Like, they're not nearly as good as any of the actual episodes of that show because there's sort of less of a structure to them because they're video game cutscenes. But they look great. Um, It was so cool. Like, you know, I think both of us are huge marks for animated cutscenes. I don't know what that is. Like, I just think... The idea that the cutscenes are in a different style than the game itself, I think is so cool. Yeah, no, I, I love that, and I, it always felt like a treasure to run into a cutscene. I don't know, it just, like, creates this otherworldly kind of thing, you know what I mean? I don't know, that the game, that the cutscenes wouldn't just look the same as the universe of the game. It's something new, it's something different, it has to stand out in your mind or else it doesn't feel like a reward. Adventures of Batman and Robin, my final verdict is that it's not really good as a game. Especially since all of the versions are completely different from each other. Yeah, but all I would say kind of rank equally. Like, it's not like one of them is so much better than the other. But what I mean is it's it's a bit of a mess. It looks so great and it sounds so great, but it doesn't really play great. (laughs) At the end of the day, if we're talking about a video game, that's kind of the most important part. It's pretty important. 
That being said, I like I stand behind saying that I feel like almost no other game has done such a great job of capturing the spirit and the feel of its source material. Like for example, that new Mad Max game is like yeah, it it just doesn't you know what I mean? Like it doesn't attempt to be Mad Max. It just happens to have that name attached to it. Yeah, it's just like a typical gritty looking shooter, right? Which is fine, and that's what most like tie in or or, or games are. Yeah, yeah, like, they take a they take, they take a already known property. style of game and then throw a very well known name attached to it. Exactly. So why this game is so special to me is by the simple fact that it doesn't do that. It actually tries yeah. to be feeling like you were watching that show but controlling what was happening to a degree, which is so cool. So in that sense, I say it ranks, it's better than Venom Lethal Protector, but not as good as the Magic Arts at Ravnica, which I can't I, believe I'm saying. I can give you that. I, I will give you that. Okay. I will, I'll put it right there, because it, it's not ATV Off-Road, it's not Venom Lethal Protector, so it, it's above those. So next on our definitive list, we have Aragon, the widely successful 2001 novel series. This is the first entry in the series by uh, Christopher Paolini. Paolini, this lucky son of a bitch who wrote (laughs) basically Lord of the Rings fan fiction and became a millionaire. (laughs) It is a fun fantasy novel. If you like those those, like 20 installment D&D like Salvatore books or Dragonlance. This is this will be your type of novel. Like it, it's not extremely in depth. It's not. It's not trying to be something. It's not. It knows it's a novel about dragons. Sure, it's but fun. it's like it's like passionately derivative, though. Well, it's, it was written by a fifteen-year-old kid. That's the thing. You know, it it it, 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 it seems trite to hate on a kid's novel. But it's on the list. A kid published a novel, and it reads like a fifteen-year-old's dragon novel. I I do understand. It's very similar to so many things that that this the uh, Paolini probably read or watched. To me, it's it, like it, it's the not really interesting. Out of the mold very well. The really interesting thing to me about Aragon is it like it breaks the myth of a child's creativity, right? Like everybody likes to think that. A child's imagination is sort of warped and held back yeah. by society at large, or or by the powers that be. And we like to think of, you know, like uh, like Axe Cop or something. Like this is a, a child's imagination unfettered, is just pure sort of ridiculous insanity yeah. that nobody else could, uh, could could simulate. But to me, Aragon is like the reality of what a kid's imagination <laughs> is like, which is what our imaginations were like as a kid's, which is we take things we like and we we blatantly it. rip them off. Like what? The villain's name is King Galvatorix? Yeah, Gal- Galvatorix. <laughs> and he rides a dragon, I believe, called Shuriken. Oh, oh my can- god. Oh my god. <laughs> so funny. I- okay, so my vote for this is the bottom. Aragon is only noteworthy to me as like a, a as a as a publishing sensation. Like in the world of publishing and literature, it was kind of crazy that it happened. But I think it has no merit as an actual story. <laughs> and I know people have attachments to it, but I I don't think it goes. Well, the any, thing is, the later books that. obviously get better because he is less of a less of a 15 year old kid whether like okay okay so what we do, do we, we do include we have included legacy on like every other thing we've ranked we've included what comes after 
So that That's is a true. fair point. If Aragon as a series gets better, and this is the the first chapter in that larger series, we do have to take that into account. Now, I don't think Aragon ever becomes readable. It, it does get a bit better, but it is still, like, young adult fantasy. I don't want to say trash, but it's pretty trashy at times. <laughs> I think you can do a genre story that sort of just hits the notes. Like, you, you don't have to be redefining the wheel. I think well, that's, sort of... that's, that's how I feel about this. And later on, I'd probably... I, like. I'll, I'll eventually add in the later books, and mm-hmm. and we'll have to. I'll I'll put them above this one, but this one I. What do we have above ATV Off Road Fury Two at the moment? We have Venom Lethal Protector, the six issue miniseries from 1993. I'm putting and it above have... Venom Lethal Protector. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can do that for Venom you. Venom Lethal Protector is the same thing, but but it doesn't grow into anything better. That's a good point. But would you rather right now, I'd lock you in a room, would you rather read Venom Lethal Protector or All of Aragon? All Just of Aragon. Just the first book. Really? 100%. All of Aragon. Really? Easy read. It has fun moments. That's what I'll give it. It's a nice, fun read. Whereas I read Lethal Protector and it's changing Venom. As much as I love him becoming the, the anti-hero, it's changing him to become like for the next decade or so something something that i loved that is no longer amazing whereas uh. aragon aragon took something that as a kid i enjoyed mm. and then it got a bit better as i grew into high school this one is so hard for me to give you because it's like i will grant you that lethal protector now that i'm actually thinking about it would be like a chore for me to read like it wouldn't be fun to read yeah I would be reading it out of, like, a sense of obligation or to remember the story better. Like, and the other thing for me is I'm not even really the Mark Bagley guy that you are. So it wouldn't even be like, oh, at least the art kind of saves it for me. Venom Lethal Protector, the five symbiotes are complete trash. That is true. That is true. Okay, I'm going to make a pitch for you right here. Okay. We move Venom Lethal Protector to the bottom. We put Aragon above that. ATV Off-Road Fury 2 above Aragon. I don't know. Well, I can. I could sit down and play ATV Off-Road Fury 2 for a few hours right now if I had like one or two of my brothers around. So I'll do that. That sounds okay. like a that sounds like a deal. Lethal Protector goes to the bottom. Aragon just sneaks in above it. Okay. Just sneaks yes. in. Because I asterisks above Aragon's being the second worst. It and, is just there. In having this discussion, I realized, you know what? Looking at this list, I would way rather play ATV Off-Road Fury 2 <laughs> than I would read either of those stories. This one I may have to have a bloody, bloody drag-out fight with you over. Seasons 1 to 9, airing from 2001 to 2010, of Degrassi, The Next Generation. Oh my goodness. The, the almost 20-year-after <sighs> sequel to Degrassi. The infamous, melodramatic, teenage soap opera high school series. Now, I love Degrassi. If this were my list, Degrassi, the original series, would be at number one. But I actually think The Next Generation is incredible. It continued the story of Degrassi. We actually get to see where all those kids ended up. And we get to be pretty realistic about it. Joey ends up just running a used car auto place. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Now, I'll tell the audience right now. Never watched Degrassi. Never interested me. I'm about as interested as Eric is in Aragon in Degrassi. 
<laughs> I don't know how that's possible. Like, you are with me and that you love, like, anime high school shows. But you love the genre. Kind of. Anime kind high of. school shows. There's certain ones that are great. Degrassi would not be one of them. No. If you Degrassi animated would... Degrassi, made them all <laughs> speak Japanese, and then, <laughs> if and there then were an anime... it to me, I'd still be like, this is trash. No. no, if there were an anime Degrassi, it would be your favorite show. No, no, I'm, I'm not with you there. What I often <laughs> think of when I think of The Next Generation is when I asked you if you'd ever seen it, you replied with, oh, that's that show with Drake in a wheelchair. <laughs> I don't even know if so, I'm right still. Was you I are right. right. You okay. are right. Drake Drake played a character named Jimmy, who ends up getting shot in a school shooting. The angry uh, nerd shoots him. Uh, you're not selling me, man. This sounds Degrassi, like torture. Degrassi's, Hearing um, about it is worse than reading Lethal Protector. No. How dare you? <laughs> the Next Generation... Okay, I know I can't get it on number one. And I actually no. don't think it is. I, I think Nirvana MTV Unplugged is better than Degrassi the Next Generation. I do think it's better than Rocky and a Company Man. That's what I'm betting for is number two. Both of us could sit down and watch these movies and enjoy them. And yes. have and and we'd get we'd get action, we'd get romance, we'd have fun. Degrassi we'd sit down, you would like enjoy it, and then I would be like losing my soul as Degrassi <laughs> slowly ripped it out of my body. No, and I Let listen me... to their their moral chain, their moral high ground, and their and their life lessons. But they don't always hit the moral high ground. Let me pitch you on some of the some of my favorite storylines. So one of my okay. favorites is the character Alex. She comes from poverty and she's a lesbian. And it ends up that her mother her mother has this like live in boyfriend who's like a typical kind of abusive white trash stock character, right? Okay. He ends up getting arrested for credit card fraud. And leaves them with the debt. They're like hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt now, right? Because of him? Excellent. Alex becomes so desperate to get her family in a situation where they can kind of live. She ends up stripping for money, right? Even though she's only in high school. Yep. She lies about her age. So she's giving all this money to her mother, saying she's working extra hours at her job at the movie theater. Only for her mom to reveal that she was actually using that money for the bail for the boyfriend. And now the boyfriend's going to live with them again. Excellent. Which See, to that me... just sounds terrible. I, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> to me, that's such a realistic portrayal of like how difficult it can be to sort of become friends with your parents more than have that parental child role. And I think when parents are struggling, which is experience I often had, that ends up happening, right? Like you end up needing to help them. You end up needing to be there for them emotionally or financially. And it can end up kind of making a like warped relationship, right? And, and while then when I they, agree, that and then when something... they do when they do let you down the way Alex's mom lets her down, like it's so cool that a show would portray something like that, even though it's in this like very exaggerated. And like you say, I will give you it's so often like uh, after school special, Degrassi. Yeah, like it 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 is always very exaggerated and very uh, you know the characters are very one dimensional. But as weird as this sounds. Even as frustrating as that is, it ends up exploring darker territory and more realistic territory that shows kind of can't because of their cynicism, if that makes sense. Like, to okay. me, since since so many series are afraid of coming off as cheesy or, you know what I mean? Yeah, they end up... yeah, no, I, I, I get what you mean. I'm not 
I'm not giving you above Rocky or a company man here. What what is below a company man? Let's see if we can. Because I would put this, I would put this near the bottom. I might put it above Lethal Protector and Aragon. Let's, below, let's see what what's a, a below company man. Below a company man is no way out from 2004. <clears throat> Even that. Oh my. Well. And below that is Ravnica, the magic card set. I hate putting it above Ravnica, but I know I'm not getting <laughs> out of this without putting it above Ravnica. It's better than Ravnica. And like no way out that the best the best I could do for you is above no way out below a company man. I I, I can live with that. I will give you, you can live that. with that. All right. Cuz the thing you brought up about no way out that I think Degrassi beats is consistency. No way out yep. basically has one good moment. Two, really, because I think that uh, yeah, that Mysterio Guerrero match never really yeah. gets going, but it's a fun story. Yeah, yeah. The match isn't what you want it to be, and I think Chavo is kind of a terrible wrestler. And at least Degrassi's lows, they kind of, at least from what you're explaining, they use them. Well, no, my argument is that why I think the next generation is better than No Way Out, just because it really has no lows. Even yeah, stories yeah. that don't work, it's such a big cast that there's always a story that is working. Well, then, uh, that's, I'll, I'll let you put it there. I'll let you put it at at what is that number four that's number Degrassi, four on the list of the, the greatest things of all time the first number nine four. seasons which is sort of one story in itself of the first basically spike's daughter and then the kids she meets at school that first group okay and okay. hey it gave you drake speaking of rap music we have the 1997 record sex style by cool keith people this guy likes likes people drinking his pee this guy loves sex cool keith to me is one of the greatest rappers in the world because he raps exclusively about something i'm thinking of non-stop which is his sexual perversions <laughs> but he's not mired down by that the way a lot of i don't want to say gimmicky but gimmicky rappers kind of are you know what i mean yeah like the gi joe killers or uh Somebody who I love, who a lot of their work is focused on kind of one subject matter I love, it can be hard to, for the production or the actual songs to move beyond, you know what I mean? <laughs> Identifying with with the subject matter that yeah. you just happen to relate to. But the thing with Cool Keith is like, Make Up Your Mind has legitimately one of the best hooks and best choruses of any rap song. Okay. Like, even if you hate that it's a song about a guy really wanting to have anal sex, I, I, I think you can't deny how good of a song it is. Make up your mind. Who you want to pump the butt? Make up your mind. Who you want to pump the butt? Make up your mind. Who you want to pump the butt? Make up your mind. Who you want to pump the butt? No affections. Condom style. I got no yeast. Worldwide trunk funk. No jazz on the east. Breaking honeys down. Back in here to and the beat of it is so good. And same with there's a song called Regular Girls off that album, which is kind of about how Cool Keith hates women who aren't into being peed on <laughs> and the contempt <laughs> he has for, for women who are just normal. It's basically like a decade before songs about basic girls, him complaining about, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Women who, it's, it's like the best. And the other thing about this record is it's like it might be the only rap record where I like the skits. Oh, jeez, yeah? Like, you know how everybody hates on the skits, especially of 90s yeah. rap albums? Yeah. yeah. Like, I actually love them on this record. They're hilarious. <laughs> I want this high. If you only know about Cool Keith tangentially, which a lot of people do, like you mentioned his name, it's like, oh yeah, he's that he's that weird guy who, who raps about sex. <laughs> 
this is the record to me to listen to if that's the only way you know him. Because okay. it's like, you know, a lot of his songs, it's like a lot of things that we love. You know what I mean? It's like... Yeah. Uh, uh, Venom Lethal Protector is only going to be interesting to you as a Venom fan. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't maybe want to put that under somebody's nose who just saw Spider-Man 3 or whatever. And a lot of Cool Keats records are like that. But Sex Style is like... Even beyond, it, it's still so him. It's not like, oh, this is his attempt at being mainstream. You know what I mean? He's 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 a, he's accepted who he is, and he's 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 doing that. He's doing his thing. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I would put this between a company man and Degrassi: The Next Generation. I might give you between No Way Out and Ravnica. See, it's that's where I'm thinking. It, like, it didn't hit me. Like, maybe. You were hoping it would. It is very of its era. It, it, it you know, it's '90s hip hop. It has yeah. a different sound than anything contemporary, which I think is more what you enjoy. I think I'm I'm letting you go pretty high here above Ravnica. Does that okay, put it are... in it? Does that put it in the top five? Oh yes. Wait, so where wait. I want to put it, it would be at number four. Because here's the thing: what it represents, even if you are saying that it's not so much for you, but what it represents is something that eschews novelty, something that's kind of defined by its gimmick being this, you know, sexual perversion concept album. But the fact that it goes above that, you know, it's still great as what it is in pure definition as yeah. a 90s rap album. Representative of that, there's very few things that are both of those, that are so uniquely the artist, but are also successful, something that could be listened to a wider audience. Though this was not, by the way. I want to stress that this did not even rank on the <laughs> Billboard Top 200. I, I don't think it belongs above No Way Out. Damn it. I want to fight for this. See, the other thing is that you are not the sexual pervert I am. I, I'm not. Uh, while I do have a few sexual perversions, I am not I am not nearly as, as in-depth with it as you. Yeah, this album speaks to me intimately <laughs> in a way that <laughs> it can never do for you. I can't let it be below Ravnica. That's the thing. I'm, I cannot I'm giving let... you above Ravnica. Just below okay. No Way Out. I, I do respect it for being very much what it was, his 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 concept album about his sexual perversions. So I, I feel I feel I'll give it to you above Ravnica, but not above No Way Out. Like, I feel that's a very a very secure place for it. Okay. I personally still think it's better than No Way Out, but where where I'll live with this is because it's like No Way Out in this in the sense that it is very it's not like Rocky, which was a movie at this point almost 50 years old yeah. that is still feels like it could come out tomorrow in a lot yeah. of ways. Like it's, Rocky a little, still, it's a little stuck in its time. Exactly. Like even Nirvana MTV Unplugged. Like people, the way that Nirvana has become so big for like the teens and kids of today kind of leaves a bad taste in people's mouths for some reason. But to me, it's like, That's man, amazing. they really, yeah. That just is a testament it's to how all, good those songs are. It's a quarter of a century old. People are still listening to it. People are still getting into it. I, I, I think you're you're sitting you're sitting pretty comfortable at a five. Like it's six. It's six. It's six. I, we got we got we got MTV. We got Rocky. Nirvana company MTV Man. unplugged is number one. Then yeah. Rocky. Then yep. a Company Man. Yeah. And Degrassi: The Next Generation. Oh yeah, I gave you Degrassi. I forgot. Mm. Then No Dude. Way Out. And then Sex Style. 
You know, a lot has been said about the kind of people Cobra accepts as members. They say we only take in losers and unemployed people. But why is that such a bad thing? If you're unemployed or down on your luck, the government doesn't want anything to do with you, right? What we're trying to do is help out. You could have been laid off, or you might just be a lazy motherfucker. You could just be in a rut, having some bad luck, or you could be a worthless human being. It really doesn't matter to us, so we'll take you in and give you a second chance. Cobra wants you. around with his own two hands he didn't like the things going on in his life so he took the wrong and made them right used to sell cars that didn't we're looking at the last on our very first list of all geek everything every geek anything ever made and it is adaptation of Akira Toriyama's Dragon Ball, the Tien Saga, originally airing from 1987 to 1988. Includes the second World Martial Arts Tournament. And, and ends with the death of Krillin. A classic. It is amazing. It has some of the best like anime fight scenes. What are your favorite moments from this string of episodes? Any, any fight with Tien? Basically, Tian Shinhan is maybe one of the coolest characters ever introduced in Dragon Ball. Yeah. Oh, I agree. What he defines as being using his incredible power purely for personal gain and not being afraid to murder. Yeah. Putting victory above all else. Like, that's sort of what he defines in the story of the fights. Yeah. He, that is so cool. He's the guy you'd expect to win and it, it's very similar to rocky with the second world martial arts tournament specifically goku he he is he he did perform very well in the first world martial arts tournament with with tian shinhan suddenly becomes the underdog again which is something toriyama did so well which i think he's often not yeah. credited for is like giving realistic threats to his unbelievably <laughs> overpowered hero yeah <laughs> okay you th that's a fine answer but I'm sorry it's incorrect. Uh, the best match on this whole thing is Manwolf versus Jackie Chan. Oh my God. That is my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> that Manwolf, Manwolf has heat on Jackie Chan for blowing up the moon. Yep. <laughs> now he's stuck as a werewolf. He's I like, do I, love that. I used that, to be that, able to that's change. Classic, classic Toriyama, though. Like, I, I, love, I love those weird animal people he has. And then to just include that—that's like Krillin. You have no nose. Yes, like and, that, well, that's one of those moments. Do you remember how Chun cures the man wolf too? I do not remember how he cures the man wolf. He like fires a beam at Krillin's head, which reflects off of it, so <laughs> he, the man wolf thinks it's a moon. <laughs> he turns back to human. Amazing. See, like oh, the second yeah. world martial arts tournament and Tian Shinhan as a character make this saga one of the best Dragon Ball sagas out there feels like this is Akira Toriyama hitting the perfect balance between his his action shown in style and his comedy shown in style and it's a perfect meld I feel 
Well, my criticism of it is Goku versus Krillin is not what you want it to be. I think that's one of the most anticlimactic matches in the series history. The thing is, it's a great match. The way it's set up is like Krillin is, you know, they're sort of apprehensive to have the match being best friends, right? But at the same time, they each want to prove the other one's better. It's sort of a great fight leading up to a really cool climax of Krillin revealing that he is unafraid to do anything to win. In this case, that being pulling on Goku's tail, which is only weakness, right? So the match sort of, the majority of the match before that is you'd like to think that, you know what I mean? Krillin wants to win fairly. He wants to actually prove he's better. But Krillin's always kind of had that little dark side to him. That is your Toriyama dark side. Which is so cool. But then the twist, it's revealed that Goku in his training moved past that weakness and he no longer has it. Yeah. Which is fine. It, it, it It's sort of removing a plot issue that, you know what I mean, was at that point just yeah. getting in the way more than anything. An element of the story that he had that the, by that point he didn't need to use anymore and he just needed to find a way around it. And he found a good way to do so. So all up until then, it's going so well. And then it's basically like they have this final showdown and Goku just teleports beside Krillin and like taps him and Krillin falls out. It's so yeah. anticlimactic. Like, it's just bizarre, <laughs> because it was all so gripping beforehand, and I guess, I, like, I feel like you see that in Shonen a lot, where they kind of want to almost do a twist on giving you what you want to see, and they feel no. like that's doing something worthwhile, whereas I always feel like... I, I, I do agree with you, I really love the... It's, it is coming back to me, but the, the fight between, like, the beginning of it, between Krillin and Goku... With the, the Krillin being so desperate to win, and also knowing what Goku is capable of. Exactly. Like, everything up until then is reflective of the characters, which I think is really the secret to, like, fight-based storytelling, <laughs> if that's yeah. a word we can use. And, and while I feel like Goku, having secretly trained his tail to be not affected by this anymore, is a little bit, like... See, that I'm fine with. It's just the him randomly appearing beside Krillin that's, and tapping him out. That's the worst part. Yeah. I'm just not a huge fan of the tail pulling doing nothing. I The other I, low point for me is Krillin versus Chaosu. Chaosu is one of the greatest characters of that original series to me. Yeah. Ch- so, Chaosu, he's up there with Tien with, in Dragon Ball. Such a unique design, like so weird. Just and this he's got floating the, China the doll giggling. telekinesis. So cool. But that's an example to me of what I was saying earlier. Almost mired by the humorous aspect of uh, of Dragon Ball. Is yeah. that how Krillin beats him is he... Uh, he gives him a math problem. Because he needs his hands to use the telekinesis and the Dodon rays. Yeah. So he's counting on his fingers and then Krillin just pushes him out. Like, that's an yeah. example of a gag. That's, that's one of those... One of the Akira Toriyama gags that falls short. Exactly. And, well, in the second martial arts tournament... I do feel it's a great melt of those gags and action. Obviously, it's not all perfect. Exactly. But the other high point to me, not to just shit on this thing I love, is um, when Chun, who's really Master Roshi, realizes that Tien actually has great good in him and is sort of like destined to be a hero, and he just like walks out of the ring and yeah. lets him win. That, that is was, badass. Yeah. And their whole and fight is so incredible. Any, any of the fights with Tien, I feel, are amazing i i I love the goku tn fight like the especially how it ends where it's like these are the two like matt like the two pupils chosen by their masters yeah they're they're the best of the best 
they're both kind well goku was uh one of the favorites coming in because they're like well he almost won last time yeah. and then and then there's tn who shows up destroys yamcha like you then hear roshi or chun like being like he is great good he basically wants to see the two of them fight <laughs> and it, it just hypes that fight up so much that and it pays off but the climax of that fight, that he destroys the ring, and Goku can't fly at yeah. that time. Like, no. that is so sweet. He, and then, the he uses the, oh, is that the Kamehameha or the Nimbus? He can't use Nimbus with it, right? No, he uses Kamehameha to, like, propel himself into yeah, Tien. Into and they Tien, both fly into then, the parking lot. And one of them hits a truck. I, I love that about Shonen when it's like, well, neither, like, one of them won, but they both know it was even. That is so true. That is greater than any, like, fight story. I'm with you, now, but... where I want to rank it... This is hard, because we've also... We've often been considering legacy, and it is impossible for me to think about this without thinking about how... What happens to Tien. What happens to Tien and Chaosu. Yeah. Who sort of immediately become just background characters. Well, Dragon Ball Z is where you really see the fall-off, and yeah. I'm gonna say, like, Dragon Ball Z, it's gonna be its own thing. I'm not counting it in the legacy of Dragon Ball, as strange as that sounds. But right. to me, that's like counting like Degrassi to... Like, if we're rating Degrassi and then saying, like, well, Degrassi Next Generation does this. Right. I feel that's how different Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z is. Well, where so, would you put this? I list? would want to put this maybe number two. I mean, Rocky didn't have no man-wolf in it. <laughs> I no. will admit. I, All right. I, I, you know what? I think I'm with number... you. It's as good as a shonen can be. And it does that thing I love, which is it simplifies, right? Yeah. Like, it lets what's interesting about the show be what's interesting about the show. We're there to see cool characters, great fights, and good gags. And and we do get to see character growth throughout the tournament. And that's yes. what I love to see. And it's just so well done. Yes. So, I think, yeah, definitive number two right now. Well, there you have it. The, t the ranked from best to worst. The start of all, of geek, all everything geek, ever everything. Made. Oh, yeah. But this is just the beginning, people. Wait till you see what else comes up. So we are going to be back next Thursday with an all-new episode with 12 new entries to add to the ever-expanding list of all geek everything ever made. Now, if you want to submit your own list, you can do so by emailing the show at allgeekeverythingpodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, if you ain't into giving those dorks at Google your dollar, you can go on twitter.com slash allgeekever and tweet us there. And you can also uh, submit your list and follow us on Tumblr at allgeekeverything.tumblr.com. Rob! Yes! Here's the part of the show where we also let people know... Where you can find us individually. You just can't get enough of our opinions and uh, lovely, lovely marauding. Just in general gallivanting that we do. Right? I'd say we're gallivanters. I, I, I tend to agree. Yeah, a fair, uh, a fair label to put on it. So, Rob, where <laughs> can I find you online? Well, you can find me at Twitter at ZentoffRJ, spelled Z-E-N-T-O-F, and then the last two are obvious. Or you could come tune in and watch me play League of Legends on Twitch on the channel Zentoff, spelled the same way. Yeah, and I think you should really do that, except the second part, do not encourage him. Wait, who, <laughs> who said that? Who just came into this room and said that? It wasn't me. I, I, I know you tune in every single time, so it obviously was, it wasn't you. It was the ghost of productivity and good taste. Man, he has cursed my life. All right. So, so where can our audience find your 
specific opinions and uh, your, your own content. You can find my beautiful poetic musings at True Drek, that's T-R-U-D-R-E-C-K at Twitter.com. And you can also follow me on Tumblr at True-Drek, T-R-U-D-R-E-C-K.tumblr.com. That's about it for the inaugural episode of The Only Show You Ever Need. Thank you so much for listening, you weird perverts, and we'll see you next week. At least we hope we will. Yeah, I just called you perverts for reasons that escape me. I was not well socialized as a child. <laughs> this is what it's I only socialized with about you, so. <laughs> that explains so many of our personal issues. It really does. Bye, kittens. Have a good time.